The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sukov. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, May 16, 2021. Hey, look at that. It's 516 and the 516. I know, bad joke. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. On the show tonight, we got Andy McNeil from VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, and DJ Bienname from New York Daily News. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit the website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk New York, on iTunes, Spotify, or pretty much anywhere that you listen to your podcast. Now that we now that we got the, the housekeeping out of the way, it's my favorite time of the year. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs. And so far, every game has gone to overtime. My favorite. I love overtime. And with, with that, to go into more overtime of the Stanley Cup playoffs, we're going to welcome Andy McNeil from VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Andy, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Andy. Uh, just just enjoying what looks to be another uh, great game here between the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, it, it's been a wild one early uh, with with lots of rough stuff and and, and lots of action. Well, with that, so to, so Nikita Kucherov, who has hasn't played much of the season, is making his return tonight, and that's got to be a huge boost for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are looking to defend their title. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that that's you know without a doubt. Um, I, I will admit that that I did not bet on the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, tonight, and I'm already regretting uh, not doing so. But you know, there was just so many possibilities here uh, with, with with this team and and its star players, namely uh, Nikita Kucherov and, and Steven Stamkos, having you know such long layoffs. Uh, there there was questions about whether or not they they'd had the kind of chemistry needed to compete with the Florida Panthers team uh, that has gotten the better of them this season. Uh, but it looks like they're they're up to the challenge here uh, with a shorthanded goal and leading one nothing uh, just about ten minutes in. Well, we we've seen the, the the way the NHL did the playoffs this year. It's it's staying within division until they hit the the final four. I, I can't even say commerce finals this year because it's it's not that. How are they going to do the final four? Like, do they know which which division's going to face which division champs going to face each other in each round, or not? Are they not sure yet? Uh, it, it looks like they're going to do uh, a reseeding of sorts. So uh, once we we get to the final four, um, the, the teams will get shuffled based on uh, their their point percentage or their their place in the standings uh, at the end of the regular season, and, and things will work out like that. So there's a lot of possibilities as far as um, you know what what we could see as far as the Stanley Cup final matchup. Uh, but but I'm, I I can't say for sure that that is the exact plan. I know I've been wrong about a few things this season, and in, in terms of just the, the way they they plan to structure things, because um, you know it's been such a mixed up season uh, with, with everything going on. So what what have you seen so far as the playoffs started? Like what what have you seen the biggest betting lines have been so far? Like what like what team has been getting the most action so far? Well, um, you know, of course. We had uh, the, the Boston Bruins getting some some pretty heavy action uh, heading into last night's game, um, and obviously that didn't work out. But but it looks like there's there's that trend 
uh, that that that's the way things are trending heading into game number two, uh, and and I would suspect that um, Craig Anderson possibly being in goal for for a full sixty minutes uh, plus here uh, has a lot to do with the line um, being shaded even more towards the Boston Bruins heading into game number two. Um, obviously today with the Minnesota Wild and and Golden Knights getting set to, to get their series underway uh, earlier, and news coming out that Max Pacioretty wouldn't be in the lineup. Um, that had an impact and had people rushing to uh, get their money line bets down and their puck line bets down uh, on the Minnesota Wild. Um, I was one of those people. I had a, a wild money money line bet today, uh, and that was a, a fun sweat, uh, one that worked out in the end. Um, but but yeah, that that's you know pretty much where things have been at. It's going to be very reactionary here, uh, as um, you know. There's been a few days here leading up to these matchups. Um, people have let their opinions be known uh, in markets like, you know, who's going to win the series. So that has uh, influenced the game lines uh, heading into the, the first couple of games here. Um, and then everything after that, a lot of the, the, the action comes from things like I just mentioned, uh, a big star player being out um, today. Uh, obviously, it went uh, in, in favor of the Islanders today uh, with their overtime victory. Um, but, you know, with Simeon Barlamov, uh, getting the day off that had a little bit of a, a you know resulting uh, action in the, the betting market um, because of it, but that was kind of balanced out by the fact that Evgeny Malkin did not play, uh, even though he was rumored to be you know pretty much ready to go today. So um, right now, uh, a lot of a lot of what we see in, in the market, I think, is, is due to news and things like that. Well, we're talking with Andy McNeil from Beeson. Speaking of that Minnesota game, you. Since you were, since you made that bet, you must have been white knuckling it for most of that game, especially once the game got into overtime. And I knew that was a back and forth game. Great, great goaltending duel between Mark Andre Fleury, Cam Talbot. Some incredible saves. Like I, I was, I was actually convinced I was going to go like three or four overtimes. I'll be honest. Yeah, all of the hockey so far has been great. Um, and and the Minnesota Wild and, and Vegas Golden Knights game was was no different. And I mean, what other sports? Uh, I guess soccer, but I, I don't think it could compare, uh, you know, a, a scoreless draw through uh, all of regulation and have it be that exciting. It was just such a great matchup, uh, so suspenseful. Um, and I really, you know, after the first period, I, I, the, the white knuckling kind of let off because um, Vegas really dominated that first frame. Um, but but as the game went on, the Wild found themselves, and I, I felt that, um, and, I, and, and I think the data matches up with, with what I saw was that the, the Wild started to, you know, um, get, get, get a fair share of the scoring chances and the shots and, and really start to generate, uh, some great opportunities. And, you know, I think heading into game number two, I think we should expect to see the Wild team, uh, that we saw in, in the second and third period as well as the overtime period. Um, because that's the team that we saw match up against Vegas all, all season long. They played really well, uh, against the Vegas Golden, Vegas Golden Knights this year. Um, and, and believe me, I was on the wrong side of, of quite a few uh, wild victories in that season series, uh, and I guess I've learned from it uh, to come around uh, today and, and get a big win on the wild. Well, uh, uh, one thing I was going to ask about, since I was, as I was watching the game today, NBC said as I was going into overtime, it's the first time that the first three games of the playoffs went into overtime. So have you seen a lot of people start throwing money at Overtime goal scorers, like once games go into overtime, you see like a lot of money going on. Okay, uh, Carol Kaprizov is going to score the game, score the game winning goal, or it's going to be Jared Spurgeon, something like that. 
Well, I'm sure there is is a lot of that that goes on. Um, you know, personally, I don't, I'm not uh, typically running to the the sports book uh, at that point in the game because you know, actually, a lot of a lot of sports books don't uh, offer a ton of markets in the overtime period, uh, which you know is is probably a missed opportunity. Uh, I think you could probably agree with that. I, I mean, they could really uh, get get some uh, or create some some interesting markets uh, for overtime. Um, but no, it, it's it's you know I, I think I think for the most part people are, are riding their their their, their pregame wagers and uh, and most of, doing doing most of their in-game betting throughout the game when it, when it, overtime is 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 uh, almost for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> it, it's true, and it, and as a Ranger fan watching all those playoff overtime games and the fourteen and fifteen runs, I am I'm, I'm surprised I still my hair is still my natural color. I, you know, I, I guess I will say that I, I think that the Rangers uh, deserved a better fate this year. I'll squeak that in uh, because um, you know they were they were really really uh, really really tough team to play against this year. Um, and uh, you know, in a, in a normal year, they they probably would have found themselves in a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, you consider that there would be another almost thirty games left. They were only what six points out. That's certainly reasonable to think that they could make up six points in thirty games. For sure, and, and they were a great team to bet on for me personally this year. I, I did very well on them, especially when, um, especially when uh, Shostorkin was back in the fold and healthy. So, who, are, have there been any odds on who the new Rangers head coach is going to be yet? Um, I haven't seen anything um, uh, in the in the the, the the U.S. market. I have seen some stuff globally, and it's it's all the names that you'd expect. Uh, which um, I wouldn't put much stock into. Those things are, are more for uh, their own marketing purposes in a lot of ways. I would I will say that. Um, but uh, no, it's it, it's the names that you've seen. Probably one name that you don't want to see, and that's uh, John Tortorella. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, no, I'm 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 done with Tortorella. He would not be <laughs> he would not be a good fit for this Ranger team. And I like Tortorella. I do. He's a good coach. I do. And I I if I if I was starting a team, I would probably love to have him as a coach. But where the Rangers are right now, no chance. Yeah, so I really, from a betting perspective, I can't really speak to that. To be honest, if, if, if you're talking, if you're asking me as a hockey fan, as an observer, uh, I, I would think that this is going to be pretty hard to screw up for them. There's a couple of great uh, candidates out there in, in Claude Julian or Gerard Gallant. I mean, there's there's a couple of others, I'm sure. Um, but I, I think this is one. This one is, is is a tough one to mess up. And, and if the Rangers do mess it up. Uh, it'll be a real big missed opportunity for the organization. Now we're talking with Andy McNeil. So let's go back to the teams that are hitting the puck around rather than the the little white ball on the golf course. Let's start local. <laughs> let's start locally. We we you kind of touched on it a little bit. The New York Islanders, Pittsburgh Penguins. Islanders already up one nothing in the series, and the Penguins have seemed to have gotten hot at the right time at the end of the season, like they seem to do every time they make that lengthy run, and the Islanders seem to get the best of them tonight. What do you look? What are you looking for in this series going forward? Um, well, I'll, I'll be looking for Berlamov to get get back in the crease. I think he's the, the stronger of the two goaltenders. I don't think that's a, a, a much of a, a debate. Uh, although you know Sorokin is, has been fine this season for sure uh, in his first NHL campaign. Um, you know, and, and I'll obviously be be curious about Evgeny Malkin because he's a huge difference maker and, and could uh, you know be the difference maker in game two. So. Um, that those are two things that I'm monitoring going forward. But you know, uh, assuming Malkin is back, I, I I think the Islanders are going to win the series. 
um, you know, almost 67% of the time, which is uh, a little bit implies a little bit better of a chance than what we're seeing. Uh, we see a live line uh, for the series after game one at minus 182 over at DraftKings. Um, so you would have to uh, lay a dollar 82 to win a dollar on the Islanders here. Um, but I think this is going to be a really close series. I mean, going in, I expected Pittsburgh's skill to win out more often than not here. Um, although I do think, you know, the Islanders have an overall advantage defensively and in goal. Um, but they don't have the skill to match uh, the Penguins up front. But now that, you know, a guy like um, Kyle Palmieri is, is finding his, his way with the Islanders after a really disappointing stretch since, uh, you know, being dealt, uh, from New Jersey, uh, that could make a, a big difference here too with two goals today, including the overtime winner. That's exactly what you want to see if you're an Islanders fan, if you're an Islanders better. Um, but this, is, this to me is still the, the closest matchup. It's, you know, it's the matchup that I think is, is going to likely stretch to seven games. Um, especially if Pittsburgh gets their, their second best player, Afghani Malkin back into the lineup. Yeah. I mean, I, and I would say just strictly as an, just as, as an observer, the Islanders' window is right now. They went they went to the conference finals last season in the bubble playoffs. They bring in Palmieri and Zajac at the trade deadline this year. Like they're going for it right now. Like if it's not this year, when's it going to be? For sure. And you know they 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 have some 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 really good pieces and a great piece in in Matt Burzell. And I'm a big fan of of Pulak, um, Ryan Pulak. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're, you're kidding yourself if you think that the window is, 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 you know, propped open for very long here. They've got to do some tinkering and probably rebuild on the fly over these next few years. Um, but obviously, you know, with, with young players like Barzell and Beauvillier, there's, there's still some time to see uh, what they blossom into. But uh, given what we know right now, like you said, I think the window is, is, is open right now, but it's, it's closing. All right, and looking at the other Eastern Division series, and this one actually has the most intrigue to me, is the Washington Capitals and the Boston Bruins. We saw yesterday Washington gets that one nothing lead with the overtime goal by Nick Dowd. Ovechkin's looking for his second cup, and the, the Bruins have a very strong team, While even though they did finish in fourth place in the division. Where, where do you see this series going? Well, I was very high on the Bruins and maybe not so much on the Capitals um, heading into the series. I had Boston uh, with a 64% chance of winning, which it wouldn't you know, equate to odds of minus 180 or, or thereabouts. Um, their series price was around minus 155, minus 160, so I was a little bit higher than that, but um, I was able to bet them at minus 130. Uh, you know, a great, a great bet. Uh, I think still uh, in hindsight, but uh, I didn't get out to a great start. Hopefully they can even the series here. Um, they are currently plus 104 uh, to win the series at DraftKings. Uh, I, I don't think that's a, a great bet for people to make. I think it should be closer to plus 115 uh, with the Brooms here losing the first game. Um, but, you know, Boston has played really well, and they've, they've found so much chemistry with the addition of Taylor Hall. Uh, and some of the other minor pieces like Mike Riley and Curtis Lazar that, that were added to the team. And obviously, uh, Anthony Mantha has been really good in Washington. Um, but, the, you know, the Capitals' issues on, on defense and in goal uh, were definitely of a concern to me. Um, but they came out yesterday, and they, they really set the tone. Obviously, Ovechkin, uh, I, I, I try as I might, I can't hate that guy. He is just so fun to watch, even as uh, even at this age and at this stage in his career. He's still... Uh, shows up to play 
um, at an insane level. And he really set the tone yesterday, and I thought the Capitals had more of the sustained pressure. But I didn't necessarily think that they did a whole lot with it. So, um, you know, looking at the data and looking at some of the metrics from, from the game yesterday, uh, Boston really started to control uh, uh, the majority of the, the shots and the chances. Um, as the game stretched on and into overtime, I thought it was a uh, rather an unfortunate uh, result uh, when it was all said and done. Um, but that's that. Uh, not not saying that the Capitals can't win the series, but I still think it's you know pretty cl- close to a coin flip, despite the fact that they're leading one game to, uh, to zero. And we're talking with Andy McNeil from Beeson. Un- unrelated to this, but what would what would you put your odds at of Ovechkin breaking Gretzky's goal record? If if you were handicapping, man, it, that is a tough one. And I mean, look at the world we're living in right now, guys. Like it's it's. I mean, Ovechkin has had so much happen to him just in the last couple of years. He's had his season cut short last year. Obviously, this year's season was cut short. So I I mean, I think it's it, it, it the odds are, are slim to none. And I was somebody. Um, I'm in the Edmonton area here, actually, um, and I you know I was somebody that was really cheering for that because I I, I believe Ovechkin is. Definitely the greatest goal scorer, um, you know, that I've really ever seen. I, I, I grew up during the tail end of, of Wayne Gretzky's career, but I'd never seen a player like Ovechkin, and I was really hoping to see him accomplish that feat uh, because he's been so fun to watch. But uh, I, I put his chances at slim to none, slim to none, sorry, and I can't really put a number on it. All right, we'll, we'll jump. We'll jump over to the Canadian division now. While they while they are still playing some regular season games due to the COVID outbreak of the Vancouver Canucks, it seems pretty obvious where the series are gonna end are gonna end up. And it looks like it's gonna be the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets in the first round. What What are you looking for in that series from the from the Oilers and from the Jets? Yeah, it has been kind of amusing to see these teams uh, play play out while the, the playoffs have started up here. Uh, nobody nobody cares, um, not even here in 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 Canada. I don't think. Um, but the, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, it, it's tough because they're they're missing Nikolai Ehlers. They've been uh, really bad without him. They were a team that I was starting to to, to become very high on, uh, you know, towards the, the middle of the season, um, and, and since Ehlers. Uh, has gone down. They've they've just continued to tumble. Um, you know, scoring roughly forty three percent of the goals at, at five on five. It's, it was just atrocious. Um, and it, it doesn't look like he will be ready. I talked to some some people in Winnipeg uh, this week, and it doesn't look like he's going to be ready uh, for game one. Who knows if he's if he's ready? You know, for the earlier part of the series here. So that that really pushes things in in favor of the Oilers. I, I came into this. Uh, handicapping the series, giving the Oilers a 62% chance to win. Uh, they owned the season series. Um, Hellebuck was not able to slow McDavis uh, and Co. down. Um, and, you know, I, I forecast that that will be the, you know, a lot of the same uh, happening in the playoffs now. Taking either out of things, um, I'm guessing I would I would probably move my number, you know, upwards of 65%. So uh, we're getting in that. Minus seventy, minus one seventy-five, minus one eighty um, territory, and that's that's what I've seen uh, right now with the sports books. Actually, DraftKings uh, at minus one sixty-seven. So um, I, I could get behind that uh, if Ehlers is projected to miss a few games. Um, however, I've, I've seen prices vary on this one as far as from a betting perspective, and and there are there is a price in which I would be willing to bet uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, assuming they were at full strength as well, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. 
I mean, in Winnipeg's defense, I don't even think the Devils' trap defense of the 90s could stop McDavid and Co. right now. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. I, I mean, he's he's been uh, just a pleasure to watch this season. Um, you know, and, and I mean, here, living here, catching Oilers games every other night, it just seems like a, a routine uh, bus. Uh, we probably take him for granted here in, in Edmonton. Yeah. I, I saw him once at the Garden against the Rangers, and just watching him on the ice was, was insane. Like, he was skating circles around everyone, and, and like I think he was, like, 19. It's like, it was like, where did this kid come from? Like, it, like he, he's, he's one of my favorite players to watch, personally. For sure. And looking at the other Canadian series, I, and I know this probably has a, a little bit of contention around Canada, but the Maple Leafs and the Canadians... Is this going to be the year the Maple Leafs finally don't choke in the first round of the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I talked to um, a friend of mine yesterday, a fellow sports better uh, that lives in Toronto, that is a, a big Maple Leafs fan, um, and I, you know, I asked him, "What do you say to people that that feel like anything that can go wrong will go wrong for this Maple Leafs team?" And, and he just kind of threw his hands up in the air and and, and shrugged because. It, it sure does seem like that, but um, with that being said, all things considered, uh, you know they, they've they've owned this season series for the most part in terms of um, expected goals, uh, which is a, a modern hockey statistic uh, that that you know basically assigns a likelihood to every shot um, based on you know its its uh, angle, its distance, what type of shot it was, um, and other factors to determine. Uh, how likely that shot was to become a, a goal. Um, and, and the Maple Leafs own the Canadians in that category. Uh, and down the stretch overall, uh, both teams are at the opposite end of the stretch, uh, opposite end of the spectrum, uh, in that category. Um, so, you know, overall with the series, I, I believe that territorially, I think, you know, Toronto and Montreal will, it'll be pretty close, uh, in terms of shots. Um, you know, I think the Canadians are, you know, a fairly strong puck possession team. They're going to get Brendan Gallagher back. He and Carey Price are actually being uh, sent down to the American Hockey League on a conditioning stint, but, but it sounds like both uh, will be, be back for game one, uh, specifically Gallagher. That, Gallagher, that's been confirmed. Um, so, you know, Montreal has a shot, right? Uh, 30% is roughly what I, I, I make their odds, or 27%. Um, it's not zero, so I've got the Leafs winning at 73% of the time. I think, you know, without a question, uh, they are the, the best team in, in Canada and, um, you know, the, the strongest team um, by, by quite a bit, by quite a large, large margin. And I know playoff hockey uh, can be kind of the great equalizer with the, you know, just the intensity that, that, that everything, um, all, every situation uh, falls into. But, uh you know, more often than not here, we're, we're going to see the Toronto Maple Leafs go on to the, the Final Four and represent uh, the North Division. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was asked about that by somebody this, this afternoon, like, as the playoffs were starting, one of my predictions for the first round. I actually took Montreal based, based yeah. on the fact that Toronto doesn't show up in the first round of the playoffs, as we've seen over the, like, they have a track record. So, it's like, until they prove me wrong, I'm going to pick the other team. Totally. Um, and maybe this I, I don't is the like year. either of those teams, to be honest. So. <laughs> totally, totally fair. Uh, what, what about Colorado out in the uh, in the West Division? What like they look? It looks like we could be seeing a collision between Colorado and Vegas in that division. What What are you looking for out of Colorado this year? 
I, I, you know, I think the, the biggest thing with the Avalanche is they've, they've just got to stay the course. They've got to do what they do best, not, you know, get away from their game plan. Um, I don't, I don't like to, 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 to you know, go down this road too much, but, uh, because it's, it's totally subjective, but I, I, you know, I've, I'm a big Nathan McKinnon fan, but I've seen, you know, him lose his cool in big games and, you know, maybe cost his team with a, with a penalty or a, you know, even, even some unsportsmanlike conduct. And, um, you know, obviously there's, there's, uh, Nazim Kadri, another guy who, who is, you know, kind of famous for that, uh, specifically with the Toronto Maple Leafs, as you were mentioning there. Uh, he was a big part of them choking on a, on a couple of occasions. Um, you know, and, and I just, I worry about that. I am like a, a blues team that is super physical and obviously they're still hurting. Uh, and I put their chances, you know, slim to none. I, I had the avalanche, um, I'm right, right around a minus 500 favorite, uh, is my estimated price, which I think that's, you know, basically what we see. It, it represents an 83% chance. So, you know, less than, than, than 20% of the time I see the Blues moving on to the second round. But, um, you know, that, that's assuming Colorado doesn't muck it up and try to play St. Louis Blues hockey. It's a, you know, that's assuming that they play Colorado Avalanche hockey and, 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 you know, keep driving forward and don't get mixed up into all the silly stuff. Um, that they can mix up in, be, get, get mixed up in, sorry, because I, you know, we've seen this with the Blues in the past. I know they haven't been back to the dance, but, but one of the reasons they got there, I believe in, in, in 2019 was, was because of their ability to get, uh, teams off of their game, uh, in, you know, in such a disrupting way. So, um, I think Colorado has to be, be careful not to fall into those traps, but overall, I mean, everything that St. Louis doesn't do good, the Avalanche do do better than anybody, so it's it's a really terrible matchup overall, and and all, in all likelihood, we'll see the Avalanche move on and and play whoever wins uh, the Vegas and Minnesota series. Oh, wait, what, what if they play Gloria? Will that give them a psychological advantage over the Blues? <laughs> it, it, it might. It might. All right, I got, I got one one last one for you before we let before we let you go. Uh, what would you say your final four is going to be? Your Stanley Cup matchup and who's the champion? You know what? I'm I, I really I'm I'm always coming from a place of what's the most likely thing to happen as a as a, a gambler as somebody who's trying to uh, refine things down to a a probability and estimate. Uh, let's say um, so. I'm always looking at things from that perspective. So I'm not going to really shock anybody here. Uh, I think the Maple Leafs will come out of the North. I still do think the Boston Bruins will come out of the East Division. Um, I think the Avalanche are going to come out uh, of the West uh, and in the Central. I think it's Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, despite the fact that they've blown their one-goal lead and now trail 2-1 uh, to one to the Florida Panthers. But um, as far as my champion uh, is concerned, uh, or as far as my champion goes, I'd like it to be the, the Carolina Hurricanes because they're the team I have uh, the biggest futures bet on uh, at twenty to one from you know prior to the season. Um, I thought it was a lock that they would make the playoffs, which obviously it was. Um, and uh, although I do think they would they would have a, a great chance if they were able to get to the final four, um, I'm going with the Lightning again. I, I think uh, I think this is a, a, an elite team and uh, one that obviously was uh, kind of sleeping throughout the regular season, and, and I think they'll find themselves pretty quick here and, and go on another run. I mean, we haven't seen a repeat champion in five years since the Penguins did it back in 15, 16, 16, 17. So if the Lightning can make it back, that would be, that would be quite the accomplishment, especially in a league where repeat champions 
doesn't happen very often anymore. Totally. I mean, the Avalanche are, are right there. I, I, I would probably say the Avalanche have a little bit better of a chance, but if you're out to me, who I, who I think is going to go, I think they let me have a great shot here. But uh, Colorado, they've got the easiest road right now uh, with the St. Louis Blues um, in front of them. <laughs> All right, well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time. I'll let you get back to the Lightning Panther game and enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. All right, that was Andy McNeil from VEASAN talking some Stanley Cup playoffs. And as I said at the top of the show, I love playoff hockey. I love hockey in general. It's Playoff hockey is one of the most fun things you can watch on TV when it when it's that time. If you would get a chance, do it, and you will love hockey forever. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, DJ BNMA from Daily News talking some New York Jets football. We'll be right back. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half hour one of WGBB Sports Talk New York. Make sure you stay tuned at 9 for Bill Donahue. He's going to have the first DH, Ron Blomberg, to talk about his new book that's coming out soon. So you're not going to want to miss that. But now, back to my show for the next half hour. So, we well, first want to thank my man Brian Graves behind the glass, making it all happen. So now that we're a couple, we're a couple, we're a couple weeks past the NFL draft, and now everybody's had a chance to digest it all and re- really overanalyze what every team did, what every team should have done, what what moves are going to be made now, who's going to get cut. The, the NFL does a lot of does a lot of crazy things from the time of the NFL draft. To the, to the start of training camp. We may see some star players get cut because of not wanting to renegotiate contracts. Or they get hurt, like, like Jawan James. And he got, he gets cut, saving them $10 million. So now, the New York Jets are, have some optimism going on. Bringing on Zach Wilson, bringing on Elijah Vera Tucker, and now joining me to talk about everything the Jets have done is DJ BNMA from the New York Daily News. DJ, thank you for taking the time tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So you you've been on the Jets beat now for a couple months, and what what are your first impressions of being with the crew of Jets writers? My first thing with the crew of Jet writers is um, the ones that I've met. You know, just off of you know, just in person, or like they're all cool. Granted, you know, on Twitter, you know, a lot of people on Twitter hate them, like Rich Anini and Brian Costello. Uh, people, you know, Twitter sometimes can have a, like, a strong disdain for them, but they're actually cool people in person. 
You know, Rich has given me some advice. Same with Connor. Um, you know, I've had some conversations with Brian. So, I mean, the B-Riders as a whole, they're all cool dudes, man. Yeah, yeah. Saying it from experience as a Jets fan, Jets Twitter can be a very intense place. <laughs> yeah, that that I've noticed. I don't know. But it's fun for me, though, just the intensity because, you know, I enjoy writing for a fan base that cares and is pretty intense. And that will give interaction because before this, I was covering high school, so I know what it's like to, you know, tweet about games and write about stories, and nobody in that whole entire area care. So, you know, I thought like maybe that child's parent, you know. So I don't, I really don't mind the intensity and the. I mean, it's all coming out of the fact that they just care about their Jets. Yeah. So what what have you seen so far with the interaction with you and the fan base so far? It's been cool. You know, at first, I think it took a little bit of time for them to adjust to the fact that um, I'm a Dolphins fan. But I think after a while, like, it's actually been kind of, like, it's been fun banter back and forth because, you know, they've seen that I haven't allowed that to um, affect my, my reporting and affect my my narrative. I've just, you know, you know, called things the way it is. Because as I've always said, I'm not going to allow my fandom to mess up my bag. That's kind of stupid. <laughs> So I've just, you know, um, been keeping everything down the middle. You know, when they do good stuff, which they've done a lot of good over the off season, I wrote about it, wrote about some other things. And that's basically been that, you know. Um, as time progressed, um, it's been almost kind of fun to interact with them and, you know, them throw shots at me when it comes to, like, Dolphin stuff or Miami Heat stuff because, you know, a lot of Jets fans are also Knicks fans. So, you know, that's been really fun, to be honest. At first, it took them a little second to get used to the fact that I'm a Dolphins fan at heart because I am from Miami, Florida. But once they got past that, as time continues to progress, it's actually been, you know, more fun than not. You know, I'm in a couple of group chats with some Jet fans, and, you know, we'll, we'll have banter and talk a little trash to each other about the Dolphins and whatnot. But it's all it's all fun because that's what sports supposed to be. Sports supposed to be fun. So, yeah. Yeah, if, if my dad's listening, he, he loves you right now because he – my dad's a Dolphins fan, so like every 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 sentence you just said with Miami Dolphins and fan, he loves it. But he, and to, to this day, he still wonders where he went wrong that I became a Jets fan. Hey, I mean my 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 best friend, his uh his dad is a Jets. I mean, I just his, his dad is a Dolphins fan, but my best friend is a Jets fan. He said that when he was a kid, went to a Jets uh, Dolphins game, and um you know. It was, I was at home in Miami, and he, they heard the his dad heard the JTS Jets chant, and then his you know his son you know Johnny my my best friend heard it, and then after that what was that he said don't worry about it don't worry about it so people were just crazy, and then before he knew it before his dad realized Johnny was up on like some Jet fans' shoulders while they're doing the chant, and ever since then he's been a fan so it happens. <laughs> that, that, that is a great story. I, I like that one. So, so we'll, we'll we'll jump into the to the current team. Uh, what what are your what are your early thoughts on Robert Sal and what he's brought to the team? So so far, we've seen the fans have been completely bought in to the all gas no break mantra that he brought over from San Francisco. What what have you seen from the coaching staff and the players so far? Um, so from the players, whether you know it's drafting Zach or Elijah Moore, or Elijah Vera Tucker, Michael Carter. Or signing, you know, Corey Davis, Sheldon Rankins, Carl Lawson. What they've done is bring in people that fit their scheme, fit their system, and they're trying to build everything from 
the ground up, you know, coming off a 2-14 year. But it doesn't feel like they're coming off a 2-14 year because of all the optimism and a lot of the good moves that they've made. So um, that's, a, that's a few of my, you know, my early impressions. Then having talked to Robert Sala, whether it's one-on-one or talked to him um, via Zoom, you know, that's just a bright, that's a bright coach that just really have a smart coach that gets it. You know, he, he tries not to be too big. Um, he, he know, he's more about the players making plays versus his scheme, you know, getting all the credit. And then, you know, bringing in people like Matt LaFleur to be the offensive coordinator who is a Kyle Shanahan disciple. So they'll bring in that West Coast offense that will be extremely quarterback friendly, um, from the intermediate, intermediate short passes, short game, quick game. Um, rollouts, bootlegs, play action game, and then the wide zone run scheme that it makes it really, makes it easier for running backs to run because all they have to do really is with, if they go outside, you know, outside the tackle, or, you know, do like outside the zone run, but you have to pick which hole is, is there and they can run right through it. It's a lot less thinking and more, um, just playing, uh, that Robert Sala has brought into the organization. So there's a few things that I've noticed. Um, that knows what you know, Robert Solid staff and some of the players that they brought in. Yeah, that seems like a very contrasting style to the to the last guy. <laughs> yes. All right. So now that we've had a couple weeks to kind of digest the draft and, as I said, the open overanalyze every single pick and could have done this, could have done that. What are your? How do you feel about what the Jets did in the draft? So initially. Um, I really, at first, so with the Elijah Barrett Tucker trade, initially I was like, man, that's a lot to give up for, you know, a uh, guard. But when I, you know, because that is my immediate reaction. Once I start to contextualize it and analyze it and think, uh, oh, yeah, that's a really good move because now you're, you're, the left side of the line is solidified. You got Makai Beckham, who should, within the next three years, maybe four, should be an all-pro, without a doubt, with his first team, second team. Then you have Elijah Barrett Tucker, who was as, who's a safe pick because he's going to be a good pro. Not safe in the sense that he won't be great, but at the bare minimum, he's going to be a good pro. So now you're the left side of the line is solidified. Um, you know, you win, you got Elijah Moore, so you give you know, uh, Zach Wilson another weapon, along with Corey Davis and Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder. You got Elijah Moore there. Then you went go, you go and get Michael Carter. So uh, I'm like, okay, that that. It's, it's obvious. The plan is protect Zach Wilson, get Zach Wilson weapons. Because at the end of the day, it just has enough holes. They, they have too many holes to fill them all through the draft. Because, you know, um, you know, if, if you're picking guys up in the fifth and sixth, seventh round, those guys won't be able to fill those holes for the most part that first year. Could they? Yeah, but that's not the expectation. That's not fair to put that type of expectation on them. So it's pretty obvious the, the, the goal the plan was to get Zach Wilson the pieces that he needed. Grant, does he have all the pieces that he needs? No. I mean, the right side of the line still can be improved. The center spot can still be improved. You know, they still could have got went and got a tight end. But overall, they went off the line. They went receiver and they went running back. So um, that was my my initial thoughts in the you know the uh, beginning of the draft. You know, later on they went and got some guys that they can develop that they're that they believe in. Um, the two, the safety out of Auburn, uh, Shearwood, and the safety out of Florida State, uh, Hassan Azadir. 
Um, they're really high on both of them, really high on their, you know, their ability to transition over to linebacker. And cause they, you know, they really play with their hair on fire. They, they love contact. They're able to get downhill. They can play well in space. So we'll see how those transitions happen. But overall, offensively, because at the, at the end of the day, if Zach Wilson doesn't work out and whether it's because you didn't give him enough help or you didn't build around him correctly or he just thinks whatever it is, none of it matters if he doesn't work out. So do whatever it takes to make sure he works out is the goal, and that's obvious that was the plan. So um, my initial thoughts were they had a plan set out and they executed it. Yeah, and I, I thought like when they made that trade up to 14, I also thought that was a lot to give up. Then I, then I remembered something, and this is, I mean, it's completely unrelated, but the last time they traded up to the 14th pick was in 2007, they, and they got this cornerback from Pittsburgh. That seemed to work out okay. Right, <laughs> right. And I wanted to also throw in that the, those third-round picks, chances of those guys, so Elijah Ray Tucker can possibly be a pro bowler. The chance of you find a pro bowler in the third round is, is not high. Like, most, most of the guys that get drafted in the third round, most of them just become solid. Most of them at the most become solid starters. Uh, I, you know, I look back in the past, like, you know, 17, 18, 19, most of those classes had, I didn't check 2020. It's not enough time to really dive into that and see if they could turn into a pro bowler. But most of those guys are just, um, either solid, but that's about it. There's not that many pro bowlers that, that's come out of the third round in recent memory. Um, it's like less than like five, it's like less than five per class. That I, you know, when I did my research. So, you know, once I saw that, I'm like, yeah, that, this was a good idea to go and get Elijah Bird Tucker. And we're talking with DJ Bienname from the New York Daily News. So we saw them, we saw the Jets in the early parts of free agency. They signed Corey Davis, they signed Carl Lawson. So then, then we see kind of like that second wave of, of, and even third wave of free agents after the draft in those months before training camp. What do you see the Jets doing? in these, like, six weeks before training camp starts? Probably getting a veteran quarterback. I think that that's a possibility. They're very high on um, the quarterback room right now uh, with, with uh, I think it's Mike White and um, I forgot who the other guy is. But they're very high on their quarterback room. My apologies for not knowing exactly their names. But um, they're very high on the quarterback room. Joe Douglas has talked about that throughout the offseason. But they also did bring in Brian Hoyer um, for a visit. So I think they will add a quarterback. I, a lot of people have talked about, will the Jets add a corner? And my my thoughts is they shouldn't in free agency because, like, Sherman, one, Sherman's on the back nine and wants to go to a contender. So he's not gonna he's not going to come here. Um, not that I don't think. And I've seen a lot of names of Steven Nelson. So Steven Nelson's a solid player. Um, he's 28. He's, he, you know, he's solid. You know, he's not, you know, he's not, he's not a, he's not a Pro Bowl type player. So my, my thoughts is why not just let the guys that you have in the cornerback room right now continue to develop and try to capitalize on that. Versus bringing in a stopgap guy, it's only going to stunt the growth of, um, the guys that you already have, whether it's Bryce Hall or Lamar Jackson or, uh, Austin, uh, of bless Austin or the guys that you just drafted, whether it's um, Jason out of pit, out of pit, out of pit or Michael Carter the second. So just, you know, or Brandon out of Kentucky. So those are my initial thoughts where it's like, 
you can develop the guys because you the Jets don't have to win this year. There's no pressure on them to win, for, especially from my perspective. And I think the narrative around them is that they have to win. So why not use that time to continue to develop what you already have in-house? So those are two things that have been broached, people have talked about. But that's you know I think they're going to try to add a quarter, quarter veteran quarterback just to help you know, uh, Zach's development and you know, so you have somebody to lean on. And then also, um, you know, people have talked about possibly getting them, getting a cornerback. I'm just like, eh. I don't know about Steven Nelson. For sure, I don't know about uh, Richard Sherman. Now, if they were to bring back Brian Poole, then that would be smooth because Brian Poole's already been here. Um, already been in, Well, he hasn't been in the system. It would be a new system, but he's already been here. But and it's kind of been a while, so I don't think they'll bring him back. But I, I feel that you just ride with what they have right now and develop those young guys. Uh, so let, let's let's talk about the schedule. You say they don't need to necessarily win right now. I, I I saw your article after the schedule dropped on Wednesday, and you your very early prediction is six and eleven, which I think a lot of fans would be would be very happy with, given what we've seen the last few years in the at the end of the Todd Bowles era and the Adam Gase era. So seeing at least some optimism and and a competitive team. Six and eleven, I, I think a lot of fans would be able to stomach that. Of course, of course, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the bigger, bigger games this year. Um, I'm more paying attention to like how they look towards the end of the year, because as I've always, I've talked about from other shows, is the Dolphins in 2019 they started out 0 and seven and they finished uh, five and eleven. They basically went five and four throughout the last few games. You know, the last nine games. And they looked better, and they carried that momentum into their following season when they went ten and six. The Giants, same thing with them. They started out really slow last year, and they finished six and ten. They were right there in the fight for a playoff spot. Granted, you know it was a little bit fluky in the sense of, you know, you had a team under five hundred make the playoffs, but the fact that they were still competitive and they were able to get in there, and they even got some big wins when they beat Seattle, um, and they were competitive against Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night. So, as for me, as long as they the Jets are competitive throughout the year and they're in close games and they're fighting all the way to the end. I'm 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 good with that, you know. I could see easily see six and ten, possibly seven and no not six, six and eleven, possibly seven and ten. Um, because you know with the last place schedule, you play all the last place teams and then you can carry that momentum and possibly steal a couple of games that you're not supposed to quote quote unquote win. So um um you know just based off some of the moves that they've made, um just a new environment of the optimism surrounding the organization. I was talking. I was talking to a scout um, from the Jets um, right after the draft. I feel after the draft, he's just like, "Man, I'm just feeling so good about where we are right now. Where everything's going, we got the direction. Maybe people are just not moping around around here. So that optimism is carrying throughout the organization. So I could see that carrying, you know, throughout the year. Are there any specific matchups that you look at the schedule and you've got circled on the calendar besides the obvious week one against Carolina because it's opening week, the London game, and are there any games that you have circled like, I can't wait for this game for X reason? Um, So for me, I think the game that I cannot wait for, it's kind of later in the year, Jags game. They're going to play um, They're gonna play Trevor Lawrence. He's going to have the one versus two. Um, that would be the first time you've had that type of matchup where the number one and number two overall pick who are both quarterbacks play each other, play each other in a rookie year since 2015 when Marcus Mariota and James Winston played. So these two guys are going to be linked together for the rest of their careers since they were literally drafted right after each other. 
Um, so I, I'm really excited to see that matchup just to see how both of them look towards the end of the year. At that point, there'll be a plethora of film on them. There'll be, you know, teams will be able to figure out what they do well, what they don't do well, and same with their coaching staff, and then just try to put them in the best um, position to succeed. So that's one game that I'm, you know, I had that one circled on my calendar because there's been some people that even said that, you know, Zach Wilson it was the number one quarterback in his class that should have gone number one, like a Chris Sims or you know, Michael Carter on on a radio show said that he believed that, you know, Zach Wilson should have went number one. Um, and, you know, I respect I respect both of their opinions, you know. At the end of the day, it's just their opinion. So those two are going to always be linked together in that aspect. So I'm really, really looking forward to that game later on in the year. And I'm looking forward to the game against um, the Dolphins because I want to see – one, I want to see where the Dolphins are at that point. And then I want to see um, – because some people, you know, expect the Dolphins to compete this year. And I want to see what that looks like and see how the Jets compete in, in, in that environment. I know that they played the Bills the week before that. So, um, you know, I want to see how they handle going from playing the Bills and then playing the Dolphins. And then they have a you know easier stretch where they play like the Texans and the Eagles and the Saints. I'm already too high on the Saints this year, but though that two week that two week stretch, I'm really looking forward to that. Are there are there any games that you see on the schedule where most people would say, "Oh, the Jets are going to lose this game"? It's like, wait, no, wait a minute, they can they can steal this one from a team that they'd be punching above their weight class. Um, so a team that I is a Saints game. So on paper. The Saints have a better roster. And I'm guessing people would expect, like, people are marking out for the Saints, oh, yeah, that's a win. But I think that the Jets should and could, or that's when they could, and I already wrote down that they will win that game because, um, I run, I don't, I don't believe in, you know, whatever their succession plan is, that quarterback with the Saints. And I'm a big believer in, when, once you lose a Pantheon type of quarterback and you don't have a legitimate succession plan, like what the Packers had with Aaron Rodgers, like, you're going to take a major step back. Like, the Patriots, they went from contending for Super Bowls to X amount of years, and they go ahead and they get a, they get a former MVP to replace Tom Brady. Granted, that former MVP was out of his prime in Cam Newton, but you saw what they looked like. So, you saw, you saw what the Broncos looked like ever since Peyton Manning retired. And Peyton Manning wasn't even good that last year, but they've been, they haven't been able to find a legitimate succession plan. Or with um, the Colts, they were able to find a succession plan once they got off of moved off of um, Payne Manning. But their succession plan was Andrew Luck, who was considered a once in a generation type talent. So I think that Saints game is a game that the Jets should be able to to win. That even though right now it doesn't seem likely because you know they're kind of better at, a, at most positions, whether it's D line, O line, running back, linebacker. But I just the quarterback position is so important. So I just can see a scenario where. The, um, you got to pull that one out. We're talking with DJ Bienname from the New York Daily News. Uh, I, it, I know it's way too early to do this. Is some of these guys haven't even signed contracts yet, and they haven't gotten together for training camp. What What are some expectations you you ex, you look to see for for guys like Zach Wilson and the receiving core? So Zach, I just want him to look like the number two overall pick. Flash that talent. Um, you know, make some wild plays. Um, I compare it to look like Kyler Murray did his rookie year, or even Daniel Jones, where your a your talent and your production is able to justify the pick, even as a rookie. You know, I'm not expecting him to pull a Justin Herbert. What Justin Herbert did was foreign. Most people don't 
Like most quarterbacks don't do that. Justin Herbert, his season is a one of one. Like that, that's so rare, you know. Um, but as long as he's able to be like he doesn't look like a deer in headlights, and he's able to flash his talent, um, and he has some games where he explodes and flashes that talent, as I alluded to, I'll be good with that. Um, the receiving core, man, the receiving core. Hey, it's crazy how he goes from being, you know, quite dreadful to arguably the best in the AFC East. Obviously, you know, I think Buffalo still gets a nod because they have Stephon Diggs um, and Alemanio Sanders along with Cole Beasley. But you can still make the argument because the Jets have Corey Davis. They have Denzel Mims. They have um, Elijah Moore. They have Jamison Crowder. And they got Ken Cole. So you can legitimately make that type of argument if you want to. Um, so... That you know, those are some thoughts that have come across my head. I think the receiving core can be extremely productive this year because it's offense. You know, as long as it's obviously it's quarterback friendly, but it's also also receiver friendly because they're able to create a lot of mismatches and misdirection based off of play action because of the, the run game. Because the run game is going to be a staple in this offense, and Corey Davis thrives in those type of position situations when it comes to um, play action games. Because last year he had like 562 yards off of play action, according to PFF. Um, he had, I, I think, like, and, and he, he would have went for 1,000 yards had he not caught COVID missed two games during the season because he had, like, 900, I think, 74 yards. Um, that's one thing that he, he does really well is, is eat off of play action. So this is, like, a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really good fit for him. Because receiver, like, a lot of it is fit and scheme. Because not everybody can be a Randy Moss. Not everybody can be a Jerry Rice. You know, those guys are one-on-one. A lot of other receivers need to be in situations and systems that allow them to thrive. And I feel like Corey Davis is in that. So that's why I think Corey Davis can have a 1,000-yard season this year. And then, obviously, you're going to have Elijah Moore. You're going to have Benzo Mann. And we'll see Jimson Carter still on the roster. Because, I mean, Jimson Carter is going to be pushed in, um, during training camp because, you know, you have Elijah Moore, who's cheaper. I'm not saying Elijah Moore is better. But Jamison Crowder is a lot more expensive. So, you know, this is the business of the game. But the receiving core, man, I don't really like what the receiving core is set up. And what, what about a guy like C.J. Mosley, who played like, one great half for the Jets and then basically missed the next two years, opting out last season for COVID and being hurt most of 2019? What do you, what do you want to see from a guy like him this season? Uh, I just wanted to see if he can show why he was uh, why he was paid the money that he's paid get close get kind of close back to where he was in Baltimore um, obviously he doesn't have to you know be a pro bowl type player that'd be great if he can do that but get close back to that level that he was in Baltimore um, I was really high on CJ Mosley he feels like he can fit into any system and they have a lot of plans for him so I'm hoping that they keep him because that's only going to make the defense better if you keep CJ Mosley you're going to have impact players at each spot of the defense, D-line. You're going to have a Carl Lawson. You're going to have a Quinn, uh, Quinn Williams. You're going to have a C.J. Mosley, a linebacker. Then in the second, you're going to have a Marcus May. So you're going to have guys that can make plays for you. So um, that those, that's why I want to see just him try to get close back to where he was in Baltimore. And I got one last one for you. September 19th, home opener. Do you think we're going to see a full MetLife Stadium? Oh, um, I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes. 
Um, yeah, I'm going to say yes. I think I've already seen some reports that, you know, the, the NFL is playing a half-full stadium. Um, I believe that, um, you know, just for the CDC, new CDC guidelines, it's clear that we're, we're, we're trying to move as a country. We're trying to move past COVID and, just, you know, understand that it's just a part of our everyday lives now. People are getting vaccinated. Who, who are herd immunity is happening? So I, I believe that we'll we'll have a full a full stadium. I mean, at this point, you know, like like at this point, it feels like people just just trying to be safe. So I feel that you know, and trying to be politically correct, but I do think that we should. Uh, I think I do think that we'll we'll have full stadiums by that first game. All right, well, TJ, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. I appreciate it. No problem. You have a great day. You too. That was DJ BNMA from the New York Daily News. I want to thank him and Andy McNeil for joining me tonight. Brian behind the glass. Make sure you stay tuned for Bill Donahue at 9. I'm Andy Sukoff. Have a good night. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.